For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. What is going on? It's the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Hope you're having a fantastic end to your week. Brandon Marcus here. Pleasure to have you. As today's guest will be Andrew Greif of the LA Times. Joining us once again on the pod, we'll chat about Tyron Liu being introduced as Clippers head coach and also some breaking news in the last hour or so where it seems to be that the season might be beginning in 2020. Mark Stein reporting that Christmas Day is looking like a very realistic option for the NBA season to begin. So we'll talk to Andrew about that because I do have some thoughts Originally, I thought the season would start most likely in February, maybe March, because you know that these owners would like to have fans in the stands, considering the fans bring a lot of income to their arenas that a lot of these owners actually have a stake in with the arenas. And also, you would think that they would just want fans there for the income with everything else, whether it be ticket sales, concessions, etc., So it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening, but I do have some thoughts. Don't want to give it away because there is something important that is coming up that will possibly be the main reason why we see basketball begin in 2020. So we'll talk to Andrew about that because it's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, It's one of those things where the season just ended, so the break is not very long. But then if you think about it, These players did have a very long break between when the season halted in March and then when they restarted a couple months later. So the offseason, it just could be a weird one where these players don't get as long as they would like. But we'll have to see. It will absolutely be fascinating to see what happens. And it seems like the TV partners would like to have the season begin earlier rather than later, considering that the ratings were not very good during the summer. Before we get to Andrew... This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Support for Hoopball is brought to you by the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. And I got to tell you, they've got this product. I've mentioned it before. If you're hearing it for the first time, that new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. The engineering team spent a year and a half perfecting the greatest hair trimmer ever created. Whether you want to use it on your beard or perhaps you want to go down low and trim some hair and make it nicer down there, well, that third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Their battery lasts up to 90 minutes. You can take a longer shave and also you don't have to worry about continuing to charge and recharge, but... Let's talk about that charging stand. Show off your mower loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock 
powered by USB. If you're listening to me right now, I want you to take advantage of this. I really do. I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. And of course, this podcast, like many of our podcasts, are brought to you by ExpressVPN. We all know how VPN protects your privacy and security online, but it really can do a lot to your TV and movie watching game. You can use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. You can use ExpressVPN to binge whatever you would like. Perhaps it's a show on the UK Netflix. All you got to do is fire up the ExpressVPN, change your app, location to UK, refresh Netflix, and that's it. What ExpressVPN does is they hide your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different companies. So just think about all the Netflix libraries that you can go through. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. Use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away right to where you think you might be in Japan. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN is to watch shows. It's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag. You can stream in HD, no problem. It's compatible with all your devices. So the more you watch, the more that you can take advantage of. Call to action is you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash hoopball. You can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself, expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Okay, Let's get into this conversation because I want to hear about Tyron Liu and his introductory press conference. I want to talk a little bit about Doc Rivers and what led to his mutual parting from the Clippers. And I want to talk about the possibility that the season is going to begin on Christmas Day. So let's go ahead. Let's talk to our friend Andrew Greif. You read him in the LA Times. You follow him on Twitter at Andrew Greif. His, one of his most recent articles is from yesterday, where he talks about Tyron Lue's introductory press conference. It's titled, Tyron Lue's Clippers Introduction, 10 Things We Learned. Andrew Greif, back on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. A new father, Andrew. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, are you getting sleep? Yeah, actually, I am. It's, uh, it's, it's, now that it's, uh, we've done this a few times, we're kind of used to the like little sleep feels like normal sleep now. Put it that way. Okay, so you can function now. Let's say off three hours, four hours. What what's that number looking like? Um, I mean, I can't. Three or four is hard to function on still, <laughs> but broken up six hours of sleep is 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 good. I mean, I should also say this is not totally baby related. This is something that beat writing and traveling mm-hmm. the NBA schedule is something that has certainly helped, um, oddly enough, the, the kind of parental sleep or the lack thereof, because there's a lot of games where you, you leave the arena at, you know, 1230 or one, and then you're at an airport within three hours or four hours. So um, there's unfortunately been a lot of practice that's gone into this. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. You're always on the go. So you got to get used to uh, sleeping on planes and in hotels and all the like. So that makes sense. And for you, you had your, I guess, I don't know, what's the exact word to call it, when you stepped away from the LA Times for a little bit while the baby, I guess it's your, uh, I don't know. I don't paternity know. leave? Yeah, there you go, paternity leave. Um, you had that right when Doc was let go. 
or I guess mutual separation. So it's been quite the uh, couple of months for you. Doc gets let go. You come back, and now Tyron Lue gets hired. For you, I want to talk about yet. Yeah, first, let's talk about Doc before we get to Tyron Lue, because you wrote a good piece. Uh, I believe it was either last week or the week before about what happened behind the scenes and how we got to this point. And we've talked about it a couple of times already in the podcast, but I'd like to get your point of view into what exactly happened because this is a guy in Doc Rivers that put the Clippers on the map. He continually led this team to the playoffs. He had a big say in bringing Kawhi Leonard to the Clippers. Kawhi wanted to play for Doc Rivers. And after one year of having Kawhi and PG, they decided to, I guess, make Doc the scapegoat because you knew something needed to change after not making the Western Conference Finals. What's your take as to why this happened and why now instead of ne- maybe not next year? Yeah, I think there was some surprise that, uh, I mean, from within the building and from around the league that Doc was let go because it seemed like the timing, If the common thought was, well, if it didn't happen immediately, then he'll be back. And I know there are, you know, within the team, that was the feeling too, that, okay, like he's our guy. Uh, we're going to roll. It was disappointing, but we're going to run it back and we'll, we'll make every effort to be better in 2021. Um, so, but, you know, he's talked about this in his introductory press conference. Steve Ballmer mentioned it during Tyron Lue's uh, introductory press conference that those two had conversations for about 10 days to two weeks after the game seven loss. Ballmer said he didn't want to make anything a decision in an emotional state, which obviously the game seven loss left everyone very frustrated and and beyond and upset and mad and embarrassed. So they talked it out and they just felt like there wasn't, um, you know, they weren't on the same page with, with, with coming back for an eighth season for doc. You have to remember this was, everyone knows about, okay, the three, one lead that was blown in 2015 as well. It's not the first time, but he'd been through three cycles with the Clippers. I think there was a sense that, okay, have we gone, uh, have we gone far enough? Is this as far as we're going to go? Um, would it be would it be wise to go into new leadership? But the tricky thing about that is, as you alluded to, this is not just a basketball conversation. Um, you know, Doc was the face of this team in many more ways than just kind of wins and losses in post game press conferences. He navigated them through Donald Sterling. He was the guy who, when they when George Floyd was killed, they put out the statement. Um, in his name, you know, it was fully like a doc story about his father being a police officer in Chicago. It was very powerful. Um, you know, he was such a, a powerful figure in terms of what he stood for beyond basketball that you don't just brush him aside quickly. And I think that was why the decision took a while and was weighed very carefully by a bomber. Um, and a lot of people on the league didn't think it was going to happen. They just felt like doc had, had so much cachet uh, and meant so much um, to the team that they would give it another season. But obviously, um, that was not the case. Yeah, it, it was such an interesting process because you would have thought that once he wasn't let go immediately, like you said, that he would have stayed. Because really, Chris Haynes, I believe, was the one that reported, and he seems to be kind of in the know. But at the same time, I've mentioned this in the podcast where the Clippers really don't operate where the media knows what's going on. So for him to say that, it was kind of, I'm guessing, a little bit of a guess. Um, that Doc wouldn't be removed because clearly this is something where Ballmer had, be con- had been considering it. So th- the question now is to figure out um, for the Clippers what to do next. And so there was talk, okay, well, Tyron Lue was on the staff when he, when Doc Rivers obviously had this 
I think it's tank job, whatever you want to call it, where they, they blew the 3-1 series lead. So would he be someone that wouldn't be considered because he was on the staff? And you wrote in the article um, before he was hired about how when he was one of the candidates as to, you know what, it seems like they're going to be giving a fresh slate into this process. So your point of view, would you have considered Tyron Lue considering he was on the staff for Doc Rivers? Or is this something where maybe you would have done a fresh search? Because I can see both, I can see both points. Oh, yeah. Tyron Lue would have been absolutely, uh, if I was in the, the president of basketball operations chair, he would have been uh, on my list of candidates for a replacement because, and Ty mentioned this, um, I asked him about Doc's influence on his coaching career. But there's Doc's guidance is the foundation of Teron Liu's coaching um, career. I mean, everything he learned, he basically got into coaching because Doc told him, one day you're going to be a coach, and if you want to be a coach, I'll hire you, and I'll put you on my staff. And that's what happened when he retired in 2009. A job was created in Boston, and that, they went from there. You know, so everything he does, I think, starts with the root of kind of Doc Rivers' guidance. But as Lou pointed out, like he's not just a, a Rivers clone, and clearly the Clippers knew that. You know, like this is, and this obviously that's too simplistic to even really even uh, make that assumption that he would just okay parrot everything that Doc does. Obviously, that's not the case. As with all of us, we have our inspiration and we add to it and we take our own spin. And with Tron, I mean, he's been a guy who said he's been in constant uh, dialogue since he was fired in Cleveland with Brad Stevens, with Rick Carlisle, with Steve Kerr. He mentioned pulling inspiration from Greg Popovich and Phil Jackson and Scott Skiles, his old coach in Milwaukee. So there's a, there's, there was, I don't think there was any expectation from the Clippers or any, any wariness, I should say that, okay, if we, if we bring in Teron Liu, is this just a sequel to the movie we just watched? Um, they, they clearly understand that Liu is his own guy with his own coaching beliefs. Um, you know, he believes in a lot of the stuff. He comes from Doc Rivers coaching tree, but he's his own branch, I guess is one way to put it. Um, so that's, and you, you see that with people talking about the, the differences between the two. So first of all, they're going to play faster. Strong Lou says they're going to move the ball more. And the, I would say the most common criticism of Doc's offenses is that they were um, a little shapeless at times, that they weren't really controlled, that um, they relied heavily on playmakers to make plays. Um, Ty, Ty Lue is, you know, someone who sounds like he's going to run a more controlled version of an offense. Um, he is someone who I think players have been very open uh, from, I talked to from his Cleveland days about how adjustable he was and willing to make changes in the playoffs, even in big moments, instead of being sticking to his guns, um, he would change things up. Like I talked to Mo Williams, um, who's now the coach at Alabama state. And he mentioned how there were a lot of times in the second half of that 2016 season when he did not play, um, even in the playoffs. But then in the last three games of that final series, they're down 3-1. All of a sudden, he's playing like, you know, five minutes here, four minutes there, five minutes there. And he said that was Lou being like, knowing the pulse of the team and knowing, okay, I think I can, I know it might seem unconventional, but we can bring a guy in here and do this. I mean, even even in 2017, I believe it was, yeah. there's a famous comeback in game three against Indiana where he benches Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving for the fourth quarter, leaves LeBron out there with a bunch of bench guys, and they come back and win in Indiana. And those are all things that have been pointed out to me in the last couple you know, days about like, he's he's really willing to change things midstream if he feels strongly about it. And I don't think we have to really 
say it too strongly for for listeners who follow Clippers basketball, but that was obviously one of the criticisms of Doc in this playoffs was that he was too set in his ways, um, and that was something that seemed to irk. I think most people. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I had Chris Fedor on last week, and he was giving me kind of the lowdown into what he thought about Tyron Lue and how he did in Cleveland since Chris followed Tyron Lue um, during his time with the Cavaliers. And he mentioned that exact same thing in terms of he was not afraid to bench Kevin Love and he, he was not afraid to make these big moves. And I think my biggest fear going into it, like you said, was the possibility of him being a Rivers clone. And I've seen enough here in Los Angeles where you look at the Angels, for example, they go and they get Joe Madden, who was under Mike Sosha, the USC. They go and they get Sark and they get Lane Kiffin, who was under Pete Carroll. So we've seen here in L.A. in the sports landscape that a lot of guys underneath the previous coach get considered. And so in this case with Tyron Lue, obviously he was on the staff of Doc Rivers. And you wonder how much of an impact that would have on, I don't know, the decision to maybe hire him or not hire him. And it did seem like he did have a little bit of a leg up knowing the players in the Clippers team. And frankly, that makes a lot of sense because this is going to be a win now situation. And every little edge that you have makes sense to hire someone that will have less time where they are busy trying to get to know everybody and instead go and implement your system. Because it does seem like Tyron Lue is going to be different in the way he's going to run the offense versus, and also, like you said, he'll make changes where Doc, I mean, we know that he was not looking forward. He was not going to bench Montrez Harrell, despite the numbers showing that he probably should have, he was not going to. So looking at that press conference yesterday, what was your biggest takeaway from it? Because you mentioned several different things as, you know, like you said, with Rivers being a big influence into why he got into coaching, but also he's a different guy. And also that the Clippers used this group of six people to evaluate their candidates. And you mentioned some other things, of course, with Balmer and their situation with Lou and the lack of chemistry. So what was your biggest takeaway from what you learned yesterday? Um, you know, I think that, again, it just kind of dovetails with um, just there was one mention of accountability that Steve Ballmer made um, that jumped out to me. It was only just one passing reference, but that word, I, and I wrote this in my story, has been something that's been a buzzword around the Clippers for the last month. Um, you know, when Doc was fired, you're kind of talking to people like, you know, what kind of how, what led to here? And I think there was some feeling that like the Clippers could have been held more accountable up and down the roster, even, you know, not just players, but staffers, just, you know, making sure that everyone was, focused on winning and doing everything they could. Um, and Ty is a guy who I felt like just again, from talking to people who've known him all his life, um, is not going to be afraid, uh, or going to be really good at, you know, doing that, you know, Mo Williams again mentioned just like little things with LeBron, even like if LeBron doesn't get back on defense, like Lou would let him know that, you know, it's, it's LeBron, like who's, you know, it's, you have to pick your spots with him. He's such a star power guy. Um, he has so much, he has so much weight, but Lou would, would make sure to let him know if he did something that wasn't right. And I think that's something that the Clippers want. They want to make sure that, um, you know, they're every player on their roster, but especially the stars know that they have to make sure that they are doing their absolute best. You know, they, they will obviously be treated differently. I don't think that's any, any wonder, but you still have to make sure that when you're out there, you're abiding by the same rules 
And, you know, one thing that pointed out was when Lou mentioned um, my colleague Dan Wojcicki asked kind of what he wants to see more from Kawhi and PG in their second season together. And he mentioned that, you know, they really have to start on defense. They have to get back to being that fearsome, uh, you know, defense on the perimeter that basically locks people down, doesn't allow that interior uh, penetration, is the all-defensive team that we've come to expect from their careers. Um, and I think that was like one little kind of nod to, okay, like, you, you have to bring in, you know, like we have to make sure that this thing starts on defense and we will make sure that everyone knows that. And so I thought that was just one little, one little signal that, you know, this, this thing starts on defense and it includes everybody. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned the word defense because that was the one word that went with that famous halftime speech to LeBron James in game seven, how Tyron Lue was pissed at the defensive effort that LeBron James was giving. And what do you know? He has that chase down block that becomes one of the most iconic plays in NBA Finals history. So it does seem like Doc is a guy that was more focused on kind of the offensive end where Tyron Lue is going to make sure that we talk time and time again about these two guys and how good they are defensively, and I don't think they did as good of a job as they possibly could have locking up guys like Jamal Murray and Luka. So that makes that makes my heart full to hear that defense is going to be a priority. Now, I, I want to talk to you about something that um, I don't think it's been brought up a bunch, but it has been making some rounds around Twitter about how we haven't really heard from many players after Doc was let go. And you did mention in your article that Tyron Lewis spoken to everybody on the roster, which is a very big difference, possibly, from what went on when Doc was let go. How much are you reading into that, where we haven't really seen any players come out and give these long Instagram messages thanking Doc Rivers? Uh, we did see Lou Williams comment when Tyron Lou was hired. How much are you reading into that with the players speaking up versus not speaking up? Not much, being honest. Um, I, you know, I don't recall seeing um, much kind of bows of, of applause or praise for Brett Brown um, from Phillies players when he was fired. Uh, I just don't think that's a situation where you're going, probably going to see a lot of that. Um, I guess I, w- I was kind of looking for that too. Just, I was curious. Uh, I was like, I was curious if like the young guys, for example, mm-hmm. might say something. Um, but I, I guess I'm just, I think that, I guess I would expect that in a situation where a guy's fired, that it might make more sense to make a private reach out. Now, I don't know if that happened even, but um, I, I guess I wasn't like, reading that into, well, clearly they hated Doc Rivers. I mean, that's, uh, I, I didn't read it that way at all. Um, so I, it, it's, it's notable for sure. Like I, it's something that I noticed for sure. I just, I guess I just didn't put too much weight into it in terms of, well, this is an indictment of the last year. Yeah. I just found it odd. I found it weird. I mean, some of those guys like Kawhi don't really use social media. Paul George is on there. Um, but there are some guys that are really vocal. I mean, you could see Montrez Harrell, for example. I think Doc Rivers did a lot to help Montrez Harrell's career and didn't really get anything there. So it was just it was weird, like you said. I mean, it was a little odd not to see it. Um, let's talk about Tyron Lue's staff because we've heard a lot of names that have been floated already. We've heard Chauncey Billups. We've heard Larry Drew, who was the head assistant under uh, Tyron Lue in Cleveland. We've heard Kenny Atkinson, the former Brooklyn Nets head coach, and we've also heard Heat assistant Dan Craig. What do you think the staff will look like? Because it really does seem like we're not going to see any holdovers from Doc Rivers' staff. 
Uh, I could see some holdovers. I could see some. Um, yeah, I could. I think that there's a good chance of that because, you know, Ty, remember, he worked with people in 2013-14 as well who yeah. were on that staff. So it wasn't just a one-year getting to know people period. I mean, I think that there's a good chance that some folks could, st- could stick around for sure. Because, again, I think, that too, if you think about the uh, amount of time that it could have to, to get this thing up and running, I mean, if, if this thing starts on Christmas Day, which – which obviously Mark, Mark Stein mentioned this morning and, and Woj. Um, we'll get to that. that seems, Don't worry. We'll yeah, get incredibly, to that. Incredibly bullish. So if you want to do that, I think some familiarity will help. Um, but I, I don't think you should rule out people staying. Um, but, I, I, you know, he will have a defensive coordinator, an offensive coordinator. I would expect, you know, Larry Drew um, and Chauncey Billups, if they can get him to be kind of front row assistants, you know, teams have three front row assistants. Um, you know, the Chauncey thing, you know, it's not a done deal. I mean, Ty mentioned this, uh, in his interview with Rachel Nichols, and it's true that they, they want him and it's very optimistic, obviously. Um, but it's not a done deal. And Ty mentioned that. Uh, but I think that for the third, you know, front row assistant, I could see, um, a Kenny Atkinson, they have familiarity going back because of Atlanta when Ty played there and Larry Drew was a coach. I believe that that's where that connection really started. And and also back and something that makes a lot of sense because one of the things that was talked about again and again from Lawrence Frank and Steve Ballmer was how player development is going to be so critical to the team's future because of their dearth of draft picks and, and not much flexibility in terms of salary. Um, they, they're going to have to make sure that the guys they have get better. And it's not just, you know, Klein, PG or who they, who's in a poll. And like, they really have to make sure everybody gets better. So Atkinson has that track record of an elite player developer let's take a quick break to talk about our friends over at my bookie you've heard me talk about them before sports are back thank goodness for that which means it's time to make some money off the sporting events going on whether it is the world series the nfl college football my bookie has it all with my bookie it's easy you bet You win, they pay. Whether you're feeling good, perhaps, about your team's chances in the NBA next year, maybe you want to throw out a future bet on perhaps the Los Angeles Clippers to win the NBA title because you're pleased about Tyron Lue as the new head coach. You can do that. Also, you can bet on some politics, whether you think perhaps Joe Biden or Donald Trump will be president once November 3rd occurs. You can bet on that as well. There are prop bets for all different sports. They really have you covered over at MyBookie. They're accepting bets on all different sports, all different types of wagers. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. And say you don't think you know enough, why not hit up the guys over at HoopBall Gaming? They do a tremendous job breaking down the slate every single day with that podcast. Also, they've got some written stuff as well. Devin does a great job with that. They know teams that... I don't frankly care about, and I don't bother to care about, but you follow their advice, and more often than not, you're going to win. They know what they're doing when they talk about these random teams like Coastal Carolina. I got to tell you, they do a tremendous job. Join today, and my bookie will match your deposit 100%. All you got to do is enter the promo code HOOPBALL when signing up. Remember, at my bookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. Who do you think is more likely to stay on, Sam Cassell or Rex Kalamian? Um, 
more likely. If I had to choose more likely, maybe Sam, but I don't, but I, I don't even know if um, I'm super optimistic that Sam would return. Um, I think he, I think he's well, really well respected in the league and would have opportunities potentially to go elsewhere for sure. If it doesn't work out with him in LA, um, you know, I, again, I, there's only so many front row slots. And I think that once you're a front row assistant, you want to stay that way, you know? So I don't know if um, that's something that would be enticing if, if their front row assistant spot wouldn't be available if that would make much sense to come back. Yeah, I think a staff of Larry Drew, Kenny Atkinson, and Chauncey Billups will be a good front three. I think that would be a good group to have with Tyron Liu. Um, I'm just not entirely sure what's going to happen because these, these are guys that I do think are coveted throughout the NBA. A guy like Kenny Atkinson, who did a tremendous job with Brooklyn. Um, I'm assuming that he's pretty coveted as well. You did mention it, so let's get to it. This is something that I talked about in the intro that luckily I have you on about an hour and a half after this uh, has been broken by Mark Stein that the season could begin on Christmas. And I want to give you my take on this one. And initially I thought, no way. I thought it'd be most likely February or March because of a couple things. A, these guys probably need to get rest. B, I'm assuming that these owners would like to have fans in the arena. And if we are going to get a vaccine in December or January, then you're more likely um, to have things be calmer as well in terms of cases on top of the vaccine being there for February and March and more likely to have fans in the arena. So I thought that would be probably a good time frame. But then this December 25th date came out and I thought about it because I was thinking the Olympics in 2022. And then I'm like, wait, no, the Olympics are 2020 and they got pushed to 2021. So John Paul, who uh, is one of my followers on Twitter, he mentioned that not only is there the Olympic basketball that's going to be happening in Tokyo, but there's also the Olympic qualifying tournament that has teams like Greece, Canada, Turkey, Germany, and they're going to be June 22nd to July 4th. And there's 24 countries that are looking to try and get in to the Olympics. So you run the risk of big NBA players leaving to go play for their country. And also you run the risk that if you start later in March, for example, that you end up playing college guys in the Olympics, which I'm not sure you want to do. So what do you think? Is is December 25th realistic? I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, um, a little too optimistic when the kind of, I forget, it was the summer. It was very early on when it was kind of floated as, uh, or obviously the December, the initial day of December 1st was up, kind of laughed about like, what? No way. Yeah. Um, Christmas day felt like oh, maybe. Um, and then in recent weeks it felt like, okay, maybe Martin Luther King Jr. Day in mid, you know, January 18th around that date. Um, that, that kind of has felt like maybe the most likely uh, way to start up. Cause then you, you know, if you, if you have the draft, never 18th, then you take a break over Thanksgiving. You start up free agency, maybe December 1st. Uh, you give that a couple weeks. Uh, you're in training camp kind of right, maybe right after Christmas. Um, or actually I shouldn't say that you would be in training camp. You know, maybe like right before Christmas, you have about three weeks, you start going, um, that, that would seem like, okay, maybe that could work. So Christmas seems very fast. It does, it does seem very fast. Um, my thing about the Olympics is I, I would love to know how much the NBA truly cares about uh, the Olympics because, you know, they don't own it. And I know it's something that I think David Stern had something a part of his tenure later on, or maybe Mark Cuban brought it up. I forget where, but 
it, you know, they don't, it's not an entity that they own or make money from really um, directly anyway. So I, if it's going to conflict, I really wonder whether they would, if that would be something that would be a make or break for when they start their season. Um, I, but I think you can't deny that the Olympics has added to the growth of basketball in the last 30 years, clearly since the dream team in 92. So that's something you want to make sure that the players on a world stage are being seen by a global audience, because I think that will only grow the game. So that's another thing working um, in the favor of the Olympics. I think, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd read a report recently that the NBA was more or less down on the idea of taking an NHL style break in the middle of its season to accommodate the Olympics. Um, so I, it's a, I don't know. I'd love to give people truths here on like the highest levels of, of NBA decision-making about what, how much does that really mean? And how much is that really a factor in how you set your calendar? Because they could be up against a really hard decision. Um, there's not a lot, whole lot of wiggle room. They don't want to make this next season probably go into October again, if they can avoid it. I think they'd probably love to keep that typical schedule of, you know, training camp begins, about September, the finals end around June, and then the off-season calendar is what we used to know it. I think they'd probably like to keep that. But if you if you run the 2021 season into October, that obviously throws that off. Yeah, and you mentioned the NHL-style break, and I, I can't imagine what would happen if a player goes and gets hurt and then is not there for the team's playoff push. That could be a disaster. A couple things, but we'll get to the timeline in a second. But... Couldn't you see where we got towards the summer and teams that were out of contention, for example, let's say it's not going to happen. Let's say Denver's out of contention and Jokic says, you know what? I want to go play in the Olympics. That's one thing that you run the risk of happening where you really throw off the competitive balance of the league when some star players, perhaps on bad teams decide, you know what? My NBA season is pretty much over. I'd rather go play for my country because it does seem like playing for your country is pretty important, may not be as important here for U.S. I'm sure some players really do value it, but other uh, countries, players do seem like it's important to play for your country because I, I could see that happening as well, Andrew. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's kind of, I think with all of this, there's so many ways of reading it. It makes it so complex that it's hard to really imagine what would happen if if players felt like, no, I want to go play and, we, and the season is still ongoing. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I wish I had more informed speculation about that, but I, the Olympics is, is kind of that wrinkle that you kind of look at and you go, huh, how is that going to work exactly? Yeah. And then to the time frame, November 18th, it seems like that's set in stone for the draft. So if you're going to go ahead and you're going to start the season on Christmas, I mean, like you said, December 1st, free agency, and then it ends what, December 7th, and all of a sudden you have three weeks to get these guys in, uh, incorporated before the season actually starts? I mean, it seems logistically impossible because you have to have a preseason because we saw that you need to have guys that actually get their legs back underneath them. And I mentioned it in the intro that the Premier League did this where people might think, well, it's not that long of a break. Well, these guys did have a bit of a break while they are waiting for the season to come back. And so the Premier League decide, you know what, let's just start back up on a normal time frame. So if you add the months together, you had a decent break. But this is very different for a team like the Lakers, for example, that really went all the way and they're not going to have much time at all to recharge. And that really does hurt a team like the Lakers if you're going to go straight back and start this. I mean, the time frame just doesn't seem like it can work for Christmas Day. It's logical in terms of the thinking, 
But if you're going to go with the draft on November 18th and you're going to start free agency a week or two later, how does that even work? Yeah, it's it. it I don't know because the, on the other hand of the Lakers and the Heat, you have teams that have been waiting uh, since March, you know, for seven months that won't have played for what, 10 months. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're going to be saying, of course, you know, we get us back to playing, you know, so you will have half the league being, uh, you know, or at least eight teams of the league being very adamant that they just want to start, start it up, start it up, start it up. And then the other, you know, other faction of the league saying, wait a second. And so there's going to be a middle ground that has to be met. And I, I would suspect that maybe the teams that, um, have been sitting the longest might have the larger say because they've been at a real disadvantage in terms of player development. Um, yes, I, I could see them saying, you know what, if push comes to shove, we're just going to start early and people are just going to have to figure it out. You think we're more likely to start on December 25th or on MLK day? No idea. Um, I, the, the, the Christmas stuff took me by surprise this morning. Yeah. It just, it just felt like the time, again, the timeline, it was going to be, that, that feels really compressed. But um, if certain governors in the league want that to happen, then it's going to happen, I suppose, if they can get the Players Association sign off. Um, but I, I just, uh, the, the thing that seemed to be driving the, obviously, the January or February starts would be, does that buy the league more time to get fans in the building? Um, but if, if governors ultimately don't worry about that, if they say, whatever, we'll just, we'll just, maybe the vaccine is taking longer than we think. So let's just start it up early. Then I guess that's all that really matters. Yeah, man, it's going to be crazy to see what happens because there's so much going on between the vaccine and fans and then the actual timeline to get back to play. Uh, there's so much going on. So it'll be interesting to see, what happens. Andrew, a big thank you to uh, coming on the podcast short notice. I reached out to you yesterday and you were more than willing to hop on. Of course, you've got a feature coming out as well. You want to give us a sneak preview perhaps into that or are we going to have to wait and see? No, it's fine. I've kind of been alluding to it, just talking with a lot of people who've been around Ty for um, different points in his life and there's just, you just, you see certain through lines developing and so I'm going to write about, you know, Ty um, kind of the ways that the things that could be vital to making him successful with the Clippers are things that he has done kind of throughout his life, um, whether that's high school or college or on down the line um, with the Cavaliers, et cetera. So uh, I'll probably be writing a couple different things. I don't know when um, the, the later installments will happen, but uh, you know, I'm hoping to write something today and, and uh, I appreciate everyone who does end up reading it. Yep. Support your local journalists. Support the LA Times. It's not expensive at all. And they've got quality writing and quality writers like Andrew. Andrew, thanks for jumping on the pod. Thank you. Of course. No problem. So there you go. An insight into Tyron Lu, what he'll bring to the Clippers and what went on behind the scenes when Doc came to that mutual understanding with the Clippers to part ways and Tyron Lu got hired in his place. And also, a look at the Olympics. I'm curious to see how that is going to play a role in the decision to have the NBA season start perhaps as soon as December 25th, which to me seems ludicrous with the draft being November 18th and free agency being shortly thereafter. It just does not make a lot of sense into how you can make a season happen that quickly. I think that MLK Day is a much more reasonable date to start to give these teams a couple of weeks of training camp, quote unquote, and also perhaps some games um, that are like scrimmages because you're going to have a preseason some way or another 
what that means traveling wise, because these teams want to obviously limit the amount of travel. Who knows? Um, just a heads up into kind of what the NBA might do. Just looking at what a conference here in California did in the Big West. The Big West with their men's and women's schedule. Normally, each team will face another team home and away. So, for example, UC Irvine will go to Hawaii, and Hawaii will also come to UC Irvine. What they did was they decided to limit scrap travel where you face a team twice at one venue. So, you only face Hawaii at your place, and it'll be on a Saturday, Sunday, for example, or a Friday, Saturday, as opposed to doing that traveling back and forth. So instead of traveling to 10 places, you end up only traveling to five, and you play two games against that team when you travel, and two games against that team when different team when you host. So that's something that maybe you might see with the NBA. You might see, for example, the Nuggets come to LA and face the Clippers and the Lakers, and then maybe go face Sacramento. They'll try and limit the travel as much as possible. So don't be surprised to see a lot of teams face the Clippers and the Lakers, and a lot of teams face the Knicks and the Nets, for example, on back-to-back nights or two and three nights. You might see a lot of that when the schedule comes out. We'll talk about that, obviously, when the schedule does come out, but just something to look forward to. This podcast, by the way, is simulcast on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net Station. So big thank you to them for having us. Um, They're giving our stuff out, and they're showing us off. And a big thank you to them for airing our stuff. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at BDMarcus. You can follow the Twitter of the Hoopball Clippers podcast at Hoopball Clips. Of course, if you get a chance, please give us a five-star rating and review as well. It does help this podcast grow. A big thank you to all of you for listening. We'll be back, hopefully again, at the end of next week um, with a special guest. So we'll see what happens there. Until next time, I'm Brandon Marcus, and go Clips! This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.